0: Footsteps behind you as you enter the woods. Night draws back its cape. Light illumines your path. Open your eyes. Listen. Welcome to Dark Softly Tales. Dark stories for dark hearts. I'm Mav Sky. Good evening and welcome to 2022, where we are going to keep it dark and dreamy this year. This is your host, Mav. Here we are in a brand new year. I enjoyed a much needed break and I hope you all did too. There has been a lot of weather events hitting the States here. So I just hope everyone is doing okay out there and recovering or enduring. It's been a long, long winter here, and it's funny to say that because it's actually just begun, right? But well, we'll see where it takes us. So, I decided to kick off the year with none other than a Conan the Barbarian story called The Frost Giant's Daughter. Mostly because I thought it was a lovely continuation of the snow theme with the other beings taunting men to their death but also because this story is a Norse mythology that is alternatively named the Gods of the North. I thought about explaining some of the Norse mythology, but that would take a little bit of time, and I thought you'd probably just like to get to the story. So a couple of things I want to mention before we jump in. First, I am building a new website for a Dark Softly Tales podcast, so the website might be temporarily down when I make the switch. Sometimes, website building can go quickly for me, or it can take forever, mostly dependent on how well my internet is working, and usually it's pretty awful, so we'll see what happens. But if you go to the website and it's down, that's why. But it will be back soon and will be much more interactive. Okay, so the second thing I want to mention, and this is for those in the audience who are interested in or learning how to write stories. Pay attention to the fight scene with Conan and the ice giants. Writing a fight scene is a skill in and of itself. If you give too many details, the reader will get lost and has no idea what's happening and then you lose the imagination engagement in the story. If you don't give enough details, the reader again will get distracted and you lose their engagement. Writing fight scenes are difficult. But Robert E. Howard does it seamlessly here. I just wanted to point that out. Okay, and the last thing before we get started, the word mail occurs frequently in this story. Not mail as in gender, or the advertising stuffed into your mailbox. It's referring to chain mail. And no, no, not the spam in your email box. Chain mail that a warrior would wear during battle to protect his body. So I just wanted to make that clear because as I was narrating the story, it uses the word "mail" quite a few times. And I was thinking, woo, a couple of people could get confused here. So when you hear the word "mail," think of it as chain mail. Okay, so let's leave everyday life behind and head to the land of the gods in the north where there are fierce battles, bloody sunsets, and beautiful, ethereal beings made of ice and fire. Don't worry, I got your hand. There's nothing to be afraid of, is there? Take my hand and hang on tight as we journey into the dark. The Frost Giant's Daughter by Robert E. Howard. Narrated by Mavsky. Across the red drifts and mail clad forms, two figures glared at each other. In that utter desolation, only they moved. The frosty sky was over them. The white, illimitable plain around them the dead men at their feet. Slowly through the corpses they came, as ghosts might come to a tryst through the shambles of a dead world. In the brooding silence, they stood face to face. Both were tall men, built like tigers. Their shields were gone, their corslets battered and dented, blood dried on their mail, their swords were stained red. Their horned helmets showed the marks of fierce strokes. One was beardless and black-maned. The locks and beard of the other were red as the blood on the sunlit snow. Man, said he, tell me your name, so that my brothers in Vanaheim may know who was the last of the wolf band to fall before the sword of Hymdal. Not in Vanaheim, growled the black-haired warrior, but in Valhalla will you tell your brothers that you met Conan of Cimmeria? Heimdall roared and leapt, and his sword flashed in deathly arc. Conan staggered, and his vision was filled with red sparks as the singing blade crashed on his helmet, shivering into bits of blue fire. But as he reeled, he thrust with all the power of his broad shoulders behind the humming blade. The sharp point tore through brass scales and bones and heart, and the red-haired warrior died at Conan's feet. The Cimmerian stood upright, trailing his sword, a sudden sick wariness assailing him. The glare of the sun on the snow cut his eyes like a knife, and the sky seemed shrunken and strangely apart. He turned away from the trampled expanse where yellow-bearded warriors lay locked with red-haired slayers in an embrace of death. A few steps he took, and the glare of the snowfields was suddenly dimmed. A rushing wave of blindness engulfed him, and he sat down into the snow, supporting himself on one mailed arm, seeking to shake the blindness out of his eyes as a lion might shake his mane. A silvery laugh cut through his dizziness and his sight cleared slowly. He looked up. There was a strangeness about the landscape that he could not place or define, an unfamiliar tinge to earth and sky. But he did not think long about this. Before him, swaying like a sapling in the wind stood a woman. Her body was like ivory to his dazed gaze, and save for a light veil of gossamer, she was naked as the day. Her slender bare feet were wider than the snow they were spurned, and she laughed down at the bewildered warrior. Her laughter was sweeter than the rippling of silver fountains and poisonous with cruel mockery. ''Who are you?'' asked the Cimmerian. ''Whence come you?'' Her voice was more musical than a silver-stringed harp, but it was edged with cruelty. Call up your men, said he, grasping his sword, yet though my strength fail me, they shall not take me alive. I see that you are the Vanir." His gaze went again to her unruly locks, which at first glance he had thought to be red. Now he saw that they were neither red nor yellow, but a glorious compound of both colors. He gazed spellbound. Her hair was like elfin gold. The sun struck it so dazzlingly that he could scarcely bear to look upon it. Her eyes were likewise neither wholly blue nor wholly gray, but of shifting colors and dancing lights and clouds of colors he could not define. Her full red lips smiled, and from her slender feet to the blinding crown of her billowy hair, Her ivory body was as perfect as the dream of a god. Conan's pulse hammered in his temples. I cannot tell, said he, whether you are of the Vanaheim and mine enemy, or of Asgard and my friend. Far have I wandered, but a woman like you I have never seen. Your locks blind me with their brightness. Never have I seen such hair not even among the fairest daughters of the Aesir, by Ymir." She mocked. By the gods of my own race, he cried in anger. Though I am not of the golden-haired Aesir, none has been more forward in swordplay. This day I have seen fourscore men fall, and I alone have survived the field where Wolfhara's reavers met the wolves of Brageye. Tell me, woman, have you seen the flash of mail out across the snow plains, or seen armed men moving upon the ice? He shook his head with a sigh. Neord should have come up with us before the battle joined. I fear he and his fighting men have been ambushed. Wolfeir and his warriors lie dead. I had thought there was no village within many leagues of this spot, for the war carried us far. But you cannot have come a great distance over these snows, naked as you are. Lead me to your tribe if you are of Asgard, for I am faint with blows and the weariness of strife. She laughed, spreading her arms wide. She swayed before him, her golden head lolling sensuously, her eyes half-shadowed beneath their long, silken lashes. Like dawn, running naked on the snows, he muttered, his eyes burning like those of a wolf. She chanted in maddening mockery. With an oath, the Cimmerian heaved himself up on his feet His blue eyes blazing, his dark scarred face contorted. Rage shook his soul, but desire for the taunting figure before him hammered at his temples and drove his wild blood fiercely through his veins. Passion fierce as physical agony flooded his whole being so that the earth and sky swam red to his dizzy gaze. In the madness that swept upon him, weariness and faintness were swept away. He spoke no word as he drove at her, fingers spread to grip her soft flesh. With a shriek of laughter, she leapt back and ran, laughing at him over her white shoulder. With a low growl, Conan followed. He had forgotten the fight, forgotten the mailed warriors who lay in their blood, forgotten Neord and the reavers who had failed to reach the fight. He had thought only for the slender white shape which seemed to float rather than run before him out across the white, blinding plain the chase led. The trampled red field fell out of sight behind him, but still Conan kept on with the silent tenacity of his race. His mailed feet broke through the frozen crust. He sank deep in the drifts and forged through them by sheer strength, but the girl danced across the snow light as a feather floating across the pool. Her naked feet barely left their imprint on the hoarfrost that overlaid the crust. In spite of the fire in his veins, the cold bit through the warrior's mail and fur-lined tunic, but the girl in her gossamer veil ran as lightly and as gaily, as if she danced through the palm and rose gardens of Potain. On and on she led, and Conan followed. Black curses drooled through the Cimmerian's parched lips. The great veins in his temples swelled and throbbed and his teeth gnashed. You cannot escape me, he roared. Lead me into a trap and I'll pile the heads of your kinsmen at your feet. Hide from me and I'll tear apart the mountains to find you. I'll follow you to hell. Her maddening laughter floated back to him and foam flew from the barbarian's lips. Further and further into the wastes she led him. The land changed. The wide plains gave way to low hills marching upward in broken ranges. Far to the north, he caught a glimpse of towering mountains, blue with a distance, or white with the eternal snows. Above these mountains shone the flaring rays of the Borealis. They spread fanwise into the sky, frosty blades of snow, flaming light, changing in color, growing and brightening, Above him, the skies glowed and crackled with strange lights and gleams. The snow shone weirdly, now frosty blue, now icy crimson, now cold silver. Through a shimmering icy realm of enchantment, Conan plunged doggedly onward, in a crystalline maze where the only reality was the white body dancing across the glittering snow beyond his reach, ever beyond his reach. He did not wonder at the strangeness of it all, not even when two gigantic figures rose up to bar his way. The scales of their mail were white with hoarfrost. Their helmets and their axes were covered with ice. Snow sprinkled their locks. In their beards were spikes of icicles. Their eyes were cold as the lights that streamed above them. Cried the girl, dancing between them. The giants answered with roars like the grinding of icebergs on a frozen shore, and heaved up their shining axes as the maddened Cimmerian hurled himself upon them. A frosty blade flashed before his eyes, blinding him with its brightness, and he gave back a terrible stroke that sheared through his foe's thigh. With a groan the victim fell, and at the instant Conan was dashed into the snow, his left shoulder numb from the blow of the survivor. From which the Cimmerian's mail had barely saved his life. Conan saw the remaining giant looming high above him like a colossus carved of ice etched against the cold glowing sky. The axe fell to sink through the snow and deep into the frozen earth as Conan hurled himself aside and leapt to his feet. The giant roared and wrenched his axe free, but even as he did, Conan's sword sang down the giant's knees bent and he sank slowly into the snow, which turned crimson with the blood that gushed from his half-severed neck. Conan wheeled to see the girl standing a short distance away, staring at him in wide-eyed horror, all the mockery gone from her face. He cried out fiercely, and the blood drops flew from his sword as his hand shook in the intensity of his passion. "'Call the rest of your brothers,' he cried, I'll give their hearts to the wolves. You cannot escape me." With a cry of fright she turned and ran fleetly. She did not laugh now, nor mock him over her white shoulder. She ran as for her life, and though he strained every nerve and thew until his temples were like to burst and the snow swam red to his gaze, she drew away from him, dwindling in the witch fire of the skies until she was a figure no bigger than a child then a dancing white flame on the snow, then a dim blur in the distance, but grinding his teeth until the blood started from his gums, he reeled on, and he saw the blur grow to a dancing white flame, and the flame to a figure big as a child, and then she was running less than a hundred paces ahead of him, and slowly the space narrowed, foot by foot. She was running with effort now, her golden locks blowing free. He heard the quick panting of her breath and saw a flash of fear in the look she cast over her white shoulder. The grim endurance of the barbarian had served him well, and the speed ebbed from her flashing white legs she reeled in her gait. In his untamed soul leapt up the fires of hell she had fanned so well. With an inhuman roar, he closed in on her, just as she wheeled with a haunting cry and flung out with her arms to fend him off. His sword fell into the snow as he crushed her to him, her lithe body bent backward as she fought with desperate frenzy in his iron arms. Her golden hair blew about his face, blinding him with its sheen, and the feel of her slender body twisting in his mailed arms drove him to a blinder madness. His strong fingers sank deep into her smooth flesh, and that flesh was cold as ice. It was as if he embraced not a woman of human flesh and blood but a woman of flaming ice. She writhed her golden head aside, striving to avoid the fierce kisses that bruised her red lips. You are as cold as the snows, he mumbled dazily. I will warm you with a fire in my own blood. With a scream and a desperate wrench, she slipped from his arms, leaving her single gossamer garment in his grasp. She sprang back and faced him, her golden locks in wild disarray, her white bosom heaving, her beautiful eyes blazing with terror. For an instant he stood frozen, awed by her terrible beauty as she posed naked against the snows. And in that instant, she flung her arms toward the lights that glowed in the skies above her, and cried out in a voice that rang in Conan's ears forever after. Conan was leaping forward, arms spread to seize her, when with a crack like the breaking of an ice mountain, the whole skies leapt into icy fire. The girl's ivory body was suddenly enveloped in a cold blue flame, so blinding that the Cimmerian threw up his hands to shield his eyes from the intolerable blaze. A fleeting instant, skies and snowy hills were bathed in crackling white flames blue darts of icy light, and frozen crimson fires. Then, Conan staggered and cried out. The girl was gone. The glowing snow lay empty and bare. High above his head, the witch lights flashed and played, in a frosty sky gone mad. And among the distant blue mountains, there sounded a rolling thunder, as of a gigantic war chariot, rushing behind steeds, whose frantic hooves struck lightning from the snows and echoes from the skies. Then suddenly, the Borealis, the snow-clad hills and the blazing heavens, reeled drunkenly to Conan's sight. Thousands of fireballs burst with showers of sparks, and the sky itself became a titanic wheel which rained stars as it spun. Under his feet, the snowy hills heaved up like a wave and the Cimmerian crumpled into the snows to lie motionless. In a cold, dark universe, whose sun was extinguished eons ago, Conan felt the movement of life, alien and unguessed. An earthquake had him in its grip, and was shaking him to and fro, at the same time chafing his hands and feet until he yelled in pain and fury and groped for his sword. "'He's coming too, Horsa!' said a voice. Haste, we must rub the frost out of his limbs, if he's ever to wield a sword again. He won't open his left hand, growled another. He's clutching something. Conan opened his eyes and stared into the bearded faces that bent over him. He was surrounded by tall, golden-haired warriors in mail and furs. Conan, you live! By Crom, Niord grasped the Cimmerian. Am I alive? Or are we all dead and in Valhalla? We live, grunted the Ysir, busy over Conan's half-frozen feet. We had to fight our way through an ambush, or we had come up with you before the battle was joined. The corpses were scarce cold when we come upon the field. We did not find you among the dead, so we followed your spore. In Ymir's name, Conan... Why did you wander off into the wastes of the north? We have followed your tracks in the snow for hours. Had a blizzard come up and hidden them? We had never found you by Ymir." "'Swear not so often by Ymir,' uneasily muttered a warrior, glancing at the distant mountains. "'This is his land, and the gods bides among yonder mountains,' the legends say. "'I saw a woman.' Conan answered hazily. We met Bragi's men in the plains. I know not how long we fought. I alone lived. I was dizzy and faint. The land lay like a dream before me. Only now do all things seem natural and familiar. The woman came and taunted me. She was beautiful as a frozen flame from hell. A strange madness fell upon me when I looked at her, so I forgot all else in the world. I followed her. Did you not find her tracks? Or the giants in icy mail I slew? Nyord shook his head. We only found your tracks in the snow, Conan. Then it may be I am mad, said Conan dazedly. Yet you yourself are no more real to me than was the golden-locked witch who fled naked across the snows before me. Yet from under my hands, she vanished in icy flame. He is delirious," whispered a warrior. Not so, cried an older man, whose eyes were wild and weird. It was Atali, the daughter of Ymir, the frost giant. To fields of the dead she comes, and she shows herself to the dying. Myself a boy when I saw her, when I lay half-slain on the bloody field of Wolraven. I saw her walk among the dead in the snows, her naked body gleaming like ivory, and her golden hair unbearably bright in the moonlight. I lay and howled like a dying dog because I could not crawl after her. She lures men from stricken fields in the wastelands to be slain by her brothers, the ice giants, who lay men's red hearts smoking on Ymir's board. "'The Cimmerian has seen Atali, the Frost Giant's daughter.' "'Bah!' grunted Horsa. Old Gorm's mind was touched in his youth by a sword cut on the head. Conan was delirious from the fury of battle. Look how his helmet is dented. Any of those blows might have addled his brain. It was a hallucination he followed into the Wastes. He is from the South. What does he know of Itali? "'You speak truth, perhaps.' muttered Conan. It was all strange and weird. By Crom! He broke off, glaring at the object that still dangled from his clenched fist. The others gaped silently at the veil he held up, a wisp of gossamer that was never spun by human distaff.